Hey Pathways, what's going on? Pastor Michael here. So glad that you've joined us for this episode of Table Talk. On today's show, we're going to be talking with Pastor Adam uh, about gender dysphoria. It's going to be a great podcast. But, you know, before we get into any of the content, welcome on to the show. Um, I, I want to just make a little bit of a disclaimer at the front of, of this podcast. You know, the reality is that what we're talking about, um, it, it's, it's a pretty... Uh, it can be a pretty offensive topic for some people, right? And so uh, what we would ask that you do is before we get into this podcast, you take a moment and you would just uh, prepare your heart for what's going to happen. Um, that, that actually you'd take a moment to pray that you'd have a heart like we see in James 1.19 that says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So as you, you take a moment, I want you to prepare your heart for what you're going to hear. Listen to the entire podcast. With that being said, we are excited to bring on Pastor Adam. Thanks, Michael. That disclaimer makes me a little anxious as you <laughs> as you uh, quote James one nineteen there. But anyways, uh, uh, my goal is not to make anybody angry. My goal is just to be informative today, biblical, and uh, to have a shepherd's heart in discussing the topic of gender dysphoria. And before we dive in, I just want to say thanks to you. Michael, to really the next gen team, to Wes and the staff and Pathways Kids who have made a commitment. You've really committed to designing content that is culturally relevant while grounded in the timeless truth of the Bible. And that's exciting to me. I'm, I'm grateful for that. Absolutely. We're excited to be a part of this, this movement of, of Table Talk. So glad you could join us. You know, t- let's start at the beginning. What as we look at gender dysphoria, where do we stand biblically as, as Pathways? Well, you know, there is so much talk about gender these days. It's everywhere. News outlets, politics, and our schools and communities. And the topic of gender is like a, a storm surge that Hurricane Ian produced down in Florida a few months back. And if we, if we just stop for a moment and we put ourselves in our kids' and teenagers' shoes, just imagine the pressure that they feel, Michael, with all of the swirling. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would never, ever want to go back and redo sixth grade. No, no thanks. I'm good on that. Yeah, right? Yeah. And now that you add this the storm raging around gender, wow, that's a big no thanks. And and parents, uh, parents as parents, did, did we ever think that we would be confronted with these kinds of challenges in our lifetime? I sure didn't. I don't know about parents who are listening today, but I never thought that gender would create this much controversy in the world in which we're trying to raise kids in godly ways. That's why before we begin, I'd like to pause and pray because we need divine help. So if you're listening, would you just pause and would you pray with us? Let's bow. Heavenly Father, uh, would you guide this conversation? Personally, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you. This topic, Lord, is it's just so critical. And without the truth of your word and the presence of your Holy Spirit leading us, we, we are goners as parents. So Jesus, we acknowledge our complete and utter dependence upon you. We can't raise our kids to their full God-given potential unless you parent through us. So this is our prayer, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. Amen. All right, so back to your question. 
Where do we stand biblically on gender? Well, here's the first thing. God's truth brings clarity. The Bible always clarifies what the enemy tries to confuse. Listen, the enemy, or as the Apostle Paul calls him, the God, small g, lowercase g, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. That's 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Why? Because the enemy's confusion leads to chaos. However, God is clear when it comes to gender. Here's what the Bible teaches, and here's where we stand as pathways. Genesis 127 says this, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. It's clear from this verse that God made men and women different to reflect his image. Contrary to mistaken interpretations, sexual difference does not exist on a continuum where some men are more like women or vice versa. Men and women are different at the deepest levels of their being. Our chromosomes are different. Our brains are different. Our body shapes are different. Our body strengths are different. Our reproductive systems are different. The very design for what our bodies are structured and destined for are different. And these designs bear witness to the differences that reflect God's creative will for humanity. This is our belief at Pathways. And because men and women are different, we believe it's impossible for a man to become a physical woman or for a physical woman to become a man. And those who say otherwise are just perpetuating a dangerous lie in our view about human nature. To my knowledge, there is absolutely zero scientific proof to verify the claim that one is trapped inside the wrong body. If God made men and women fundamentally different, then the idea that a man could ever become a woman or vice versa is simply, it's impossible, Michael. It's just impossible. So the differences between men and women cannot be overcome simply because one person feels, that's a key word, because they feel that they're a member of the opposite sex. Your psychology or your feelings cannot change your ontology, your being. So that's uh, where Pathways stands on gender dysphoria. Yeah, that's that's so good. And actually, I'd encourage some of the listeners, there is so much right there. So even if you wanted to go back 30 seconds and listen to it just again and hear that heart again, because I think that's extremely important that we know and define where we're starting before we go any further. You know, I think that last piece, you really speak to kind of what is the heart of the issue. And it's really this, this feelings against the truth, right? This thought of I am because I feel versus this is what the truth has to say about me, the truth of, of the Bible. So with that being said, uh, what, is, what do people need to know about gender dysphoria? What is it and, and what do they need to know? Okay, so here's the definition of gender dysphoria according to the APA. APA is a governing regulation board of the American Psychological Association. They define gender dysphoria as this, a discomfort or distress related to an incongruence between an individual's gender identity and the gender assigned at birth. Now, here's what you need to know. According to some of my research, gender dysphoria in children and in teenagers, it looks a little different. So let me kind of give you a list of symptoms or behavior as related to children. First, uh, a child will insist that their gender differs from one that they uh, were assigned at birth. 
Two, they want to wear the clothing of the gender with which they identify. Three, they strongly prefer friends of the gender in which they identify with. Four, they strongly prefer toys, activities, and games typically aimed at the gender with which they identify. They have a preference for cross-gender roles during play or make-believe. They refuse masculine or feminine toys, games, and activities that don't match their, their, their gender identity. And then finally, they have a, a deep dislike of, of the genitals that they were born with. And they have a strong desire for sex characteristics such as breasts or penis that match their, their gender identity. So that's kind of the list of symptoms or behaviors that are exhibited among children. When we start talking teenagers, uh, dysphoria kind of manifests or it looks like this. They have a certainty as a teenager that their gender doesn't match their physical body. Secondly, they have a strong desire to get rid of their genitals and other sex traits. Thirdly, they have a deep urge to have sex characteristics of the gender with which they identify. They have a strong desire to be treated as a different gender. So call me such and such or so and so. This is where we get into names and then pronouns and things of this nature. Right, yeah. you, you start to see that the continuum, right, of how yeah. people want to uh, identify. Then they have a deep conviction that their feelings and reactions are typical for their gender identity. Now, two, two other things that you need to know as a listener. If your teenager is struggling with gender dysphoria, then puberty is a very, very difficult time because they are becoming something they do not feel they are. Therefore, the depression, the guilt, the shame, and fear can torment them during, during this time. And again, teenage years are as difficult as, as, as they are. I mean, man, now you probably heard when, when, when you were younger, you had this term of teenage angst. Well, now it's only heightened because of all this confusion around gender and sexuality. And so this time during puberty is very, very difficult to navigate. And the last thing that you need to know is that if an adult wants to transition, then common treatments include three things. First, puberty blockers. These are hormones that suppress the physical changes of puberty. Hormones themselves teenagers or adults may take sex hormones such as estrogen or testosterone to develop traits of the sex with which they identify. And then thirdly, surgery. Some people choose sex reassignment or gender affirming surgery after a year or two of hormone treatments. Gotcha. So that really is kind of this picture of what it is. And yep. it's an it, incongruence. It's right. an incongruence. Like I'm born a male. That's my gender assigned by God. But now I feel as though I'm trapped. I'm, I'm really a female. And then you have those symptoms. And then there are some treatments that, that could take place if you want to, 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 to transition to, to Right. And it, it seems feel. like it goes further and further into kind of this identity, that there's this identity that's, that's different. And that becomes kind of the driving force behind the change. That, yeah. that there's this identity that they want to achieve. And so they're going to continue going that way. Right. So I, th that's kind of what it is. Now we have parents that listen to this podcast that, I mean, we, we have some that are, have teenagers that listen to this. We also have, we have parents uh, like myself that have young, young kids. Um, and, and so this might not 
be a problem right now, but it's something that we're becoming more and more aware of. And, and so I think the question for somebody who has young kids kind of looks a little bit more like this, you know, when does this become a problem? Like, what should I be watching for? When does this become a problem in my kids? You know, Michael, that's a very difficult question to answer. And here's why. What's the criteria to determine what is and what is not a problem when it comes to gender? I mean, who sets those guidelines and how do you how do we make the call when when every child is unique in their temperament, personality, and wiring? You know, my best answer to your question, when is it a problem? And I don't want to be flippant or crass, but when is it a problem? It's a problem when it's a problem. <laughs> I mean Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that that that's very true when you look at our kids, they're very, very different from each other. And, uh, you know, I, I guess that that is some of that discernment, right? As a, as a parent, God yeah. gives us discernment to try to handle, handle that. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, you know, for us who listeners that are followers of Jesus Christ, this is where I think we have an advantage. An advantage that you just alluded to is not discernment, but discernment because of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us and helps us to pay attention uh, to his leading as we lead our children. And so I would just encourage parents, husbands, and wives just to be aware of like, what is the spirit of God saying to you as you are parenting and in relationship with your children? Because I, my confidence is that he will highlight, he's going to make a, a, you aware of like, this is a problem that, that you really uh, need to, to, to dive in uh, when, when it's a problem for, for your child. And parents, you know, the bigger problem that in my estimation, that, that we uh, really suffer from as parents, myself included, is that we see our parenting, it tends to be reactive versus proactive. Because when we identify a problem, we want to fix. And when do we want that fix? Now. Like we wanted it yesterday. But here's what I've come to learn. The fix is much easier when there's a foundation. Let me say that again. The fix is much easier when there's a foundation. Parents of young children, I can't stress this enough to you. Partner with Pathways to lay a Jesus foundation. Not just a church foundation, but a Jesus foundation through a local church, your church family, in your child's life. And as they grow and encounter problems, because they're always going to encounter problems at every age, at every stage, there's a problem. But you can always point back to that Jesus foundation that was laid in the context of our faith family here at Pathways. You know, parents, the row isn't just for you. Your child needs to learn, needs to come to the row and know the stories of the Bible. They need to build those relationships that they form with volunteers and leaders and other kids and students and and our Pathways Kids Ministry and Pathways Student Ministry. These are the relationships that are going to set them up for success. Those are the stories, the verses, the, the content that will serve as their true north in following Jesus. Because now these concepts become realities in inside of their little hearts. You know, I always say this, you capture a kid's heart when they're young, boy, it's a lot harder for them to stray as they get older. So programs like Roots, our midweek programming for, for, for elementary kids, our our passport, you know what the passport is? It's designed for scripture memorization and pathways kids. Then you have these three key moments each and every day in your child's life. Young parents, you always have mealtime and drive time and bedtime. So take advantage of those. Ask questions like, hey, buddy, like, did you see 
Did you see what God did today? Did you see that yeah. beautiful, right? Yeah, you, you have those moments with your with your kids, whether it be that meal time, that drive time, that 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 bedtime. You really have that opportunity to either take it or to to leave those opportunities, you know, unsaid. Yeah, unsaid on on the editing floor, so to speak, and you're not really utilizing those precious moments that you can build into their into their lives. And then as as parents with young children, you have these rites of passage, if you will, uh, these more formal things of child dedication, uh, baptism. You know, they, they're going to have their first picture Bible, their first action Bible. And all these begin when you when you cluster them together, you begin to lay a Jesus foundation in your child. So my challenge to you as parents is that you take the next week in your chair time, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to understand the role and responsibility that you have been given by God as a parent. So pour over this passage. It's in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9. So this is our divine charge as parents found in this passage. And, and do you know what the most important part of this Jesus foundation is for your child? Listen, parents, it's your example. Your example is the platform by which your words have credibility. When you can humbly and confidently say to your child, 1 Corinthians 11.1, when you can say to them, listen, honey, follow me as I follow Christ. I have one uh, friend of mine, he, he, his dad always said, you want, you want to know what you can do in life? Do what I do. Watch what I watch. If I watch this, then you can watch it. If I drink that, then you can drink that. It was all his example. And you, you already know that your kids are, are doing that. Anybody that has young kids will totally, totally see that, right? I mean, I, I can think of numerous stories of my kids where, you know, you do something, you yell at the dog, all of a sudden your you're one-year-old is yelling right. at the dog. You know, That's right. they're watching to see what you do. They're yep. learning their cues. They're learning uh, how to react to things based on the way that you are reacting to things. That's right. We actually, we put flesh on the faith that we want them to grab hold of. That's why it's always said more is, more is caught than taught, right? So, it comes alive when they watch you walk it out. Not perfectly, because let's face it, Michael, none of us are perfect. You know, I, I've made so many mistakes in parenting. And by the grace of God, uh, Laura has been a phenomenal mom. Not a perfect mom, but a phenomenal mom. And uh, has blessed us with uh, two beautiful kids who we've tried the best to steward and lay that foundation and that example before them. So as a parent, when you're humble enough, you can continue to to say to your kid, listen, I'm growing under the father's care. Um, I'm being parented by him. He's teaching me. Um, it keeps you with a sense of, of humility and confidence that, that provides that safety for, for your child. Yeah. I, I love that thought that it, our example, and I wrote down here, our example is the platform by which your words uh, are lended credibility. Like that thought of kids aren't going to, care what you have to say until they know that you care about them and that you actually are doing the things that you say they should do. Yep. Yeah, Bingo. So good. Bingo. So you mentioned it a little bit earlier, and I, I think this is a, a question that comes up sometimes with parents of young kids as they're playing and uh, as they're learning how to interact with the world and, and they have friends. Um, you know, we, we ask the kind of, when does it become a problem question? But um, I, I think speaking to this directly, um, kids playing make-believe, Right. Because as kids, 
they they play make believe they pick up whatever toys around them how do we how do we like look at that versus gender dysphoria and when do we know like oh well that they're just they're being kids and they're playing make believe right yeah that's a great question and you know i think uh In my view, I think we need to be careful to jump to conclusions if kids play with toys that have been associated with the opposite gender. Uh, I, I personally believe we lose our ability to remember when we allow our culture to inform our beliefs and, and behaviors. For example, what I mean by that is I can remember for a season when I had two friends who were girls in our neighborhood, uh, N- N- Natasha and Nikita, and they played with dolls in, in their carport. And so when I would hang with them, I played with dolls too. I also remember playing with trucks with girls at school. And neither of those behaviors ever led me or an adult in my life or anyone else to suggest or plant a seed of doubt about my gender. So I, I think we just need to be careful not to jump to conclusions. And we have to be careful that our cultural awareness and even as we educate ourselves about uh, these issues, we have to temper that and counterform that inside of our hearts with the truth of scripture and with prayer to the father to say, now, would you guard, would you protect my, my children? You know, a couple weeks ago, we were in that series, Be Strong. And we talked about the armor of God. Teach your child how to put on the armor of God. Pray that over your wow, child. What a powerful thought. Like, right? What an incredible, incredible thought to have your kids praying the armor of God over themselves before they walk into school or before they, whatever they're, they're doing. What a Helmet of salvation. Thing. Yeah. Right? They're going to walk into schools. I don't care if it's a, you know, I get it. Private school might be a little bit better uh, in terms of morality and things. But let's face it. <laughs> any school, any place, we live in a very fallen and fragmented and broken world. And the enemy is after not only you as parents, but after your kids. So teach them, you know, give them the scripture, help them lay that foundation, make it practical. Pray it as a family. Like, Hey, we're going to armor up this week, Sunday night, you sit down and, and, you know, you have a little devotion and, and, and you just, you, you begin, you begin to really put that in, in, into practice. Now, obviously, uh, there was more clarity about gender in the 1980s uh, than today. Just, just a little bit. Yeah. And unfortunately, I believe this satanic confusion to disrupt our kids and students and, and undermine the, the aim of families, that's the ultimate agenda of the enemy. And um, what I'm not saying with those statements is I'm not saying that gender dysphoria is not a real thing. Uh, I just wonder if our culture has highlighted and heightened this to a level that is unhealthy. And the sad part is I don't believe uh, we're going to see the full damage of this confusion for another generation or two. Yeah, I think it's going to continue definitely. And I I think that, you know, I I do think looking around our culture, we do see this kind of... um, there's this focus on feelings. I mean, that's something we see in student ministry all the time where we see kids are focused to, Hey, how does that make you feel? You know, how do you, how do you feel after this experience? Well, if you feel good after that experience, then it's a good thing. And if you feel bad, then it's a a bad thing. Um, which obviously those are not okay statements, right? I mean, it's actually something that I've even started to use in, in my parenting with my little boys is trying to teach them that, how you feel isn't necessarily truth, right? Yeah. That that yeah. even if you, I mean, even that careful statement of, 
I'm, I never tell my kids, you are mad. You feel mad, right? I don't want my kids associating any feeling with their identity because their identity is set in the Bible. Their identity is set in what Jesus says about them. They're made on purpose with a purpose. I mean, Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Like, if, if you look at our hearts and our feelings, they cannot be trusted, right? Yeah, they can't. That's it, why the thoughts of God and the truth of God what we think about actually informs our feelings and then out of those feelings and emotions that drives our behaviors and if you take the truth of that jesus foundation the truth of god's word the truth of your identity who god says you are then really you're operating from a very emotional feelings-based life and that can drive you in every which direction your behaviors can go everywhere Right. They're, they're going to go all over the place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, see, one of the things that we, we were just kind of talking through, and you mentioned schools and, and all of that. Um, obviously, we as parents, our job is to protect our kids. Like we want to protect our kids. Yep. But the reality is we can't protect them forever. Yep. Right. If we don't, you know, if we don't let go of them, they're going to reach 18. They're going to be on their own. Right. And we can't protect them. Right. Right. So uh, the question that comes to mind is how do we approach that conversation? You know, like what age, what, how do we approach this conversation of gender with our kids? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So I think the conversation looks differently depending on age. And, you know, this kind of popped into my head um, when it comes to parenting. I think one image that sometimes I, I think about, um, I think uh, Laura and I really thought through this when we were early parents is uh, thought of an image of a kite. And when you fly a kite, you initially, the kite's going to get some wind and you, you take it around. And as the wind picks up and you become more confident in that kite, you, you let out some of the strength and that kite will, will fly higher. You, you let it go up as you feel confident in, in that kite, as you feel confident in flying a kite and understanding the winds of, of, of where you are, whether you're at a park or a playground, you understand the dynamics of what is taking place. I think that image makes a lot of sense when we're parenting. When they're little, listen, my advice is not to overshare. Don't treat that child like the kite is all the way in the air. Like they're five yeah. or six years old, seven years old. If you overshare, you can inadvertently, uh, it'll lead you to more answers than they're ask, actually asking questions around, right? Yeah. You're not protecting their innocence. And so you're oversharing. And I think that can really come back to bite you. So you want to just keep establishing that Jesus foundation when they're little. And, and when they hear something that is not in line with the truth, then just remind them of that foundation. You can go back to Genesis one twenty seven. Hey, uh, so buddy, um, somebody said that they feel like a, a girl or they want to be a boy. Well, did you know that God only creates two genders? And he, he puts that in, in the Bible to us. Let me show you the verse, because that, that teaches them to not only go to the foundation, but you're leading and showing them like how the truth impacts their everyday life. So that's what you do with the little ones. You, you, you just take them back to the foundation. Now, as they get older, you have teenagers, uh, the conversation changes, uh, more terms, more details, more questions, uh, more, more curiosity on your part as a parent. When they come home and they share things, one of the biggest things that you need to do is to control your emotion, like how you feel. Because they pick up on your reactivity. If your jaw hits the ground, your teenager will stop sharing. I guarantee you. 
Yeah. That's 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 really, really good right I, there. I guarantee you. If you if you clinch your fists and tighten up all of a sudden, if you're trying to bring that kite in so quick, so hard, all of a sudden, you have to calm yourself and you just, oh, well, what did they say? Let's let's talk about that. What, here's a great question for teenagers. When you get in these hard things, what do you think? Mm, yeah. What's your thought? One, you're testing their foundation to see are they are they on the biblical? What, how do I need to continue to lead them and to guide them? And and now you're having more of a conversation. So the methods, the parenting methods are different, uh, but the message. The message and the truth of God's word remains the same and must be woven into those conversations differently by focusing on influence and then pointing back to the foundation and adding skills, adding new skills as a parent when it comes to our theology and our ethics and, and our politics and all those things. We have to, we kind of have to think a little bit bigger in terms of parenting. But but here's what I, I want you to, Michael, here's what I want parents to catch. It's the 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 parenting principle that parenting it shifts there's a there's a shift in your parenting it moves from authority to influence as your children are young you have more authority in fact you have all the power right as, yeah right yeah i mean you have all the power as you continue to get older right you tell your kid to go to bed you close the door they might throw a fit whatever they're they're 16 years old you tell them to go to bed they don't want to go to bed they'll jump out the window yeah right <laughs> I mean, yeah, so, you're 100% right. Yeah. Yeah. So as they grow older, you lose that authority and hopefully you have and have gained influence because of your example and because of the credibility of you following and living it out in your own faith. And there's some point, parents, I think every parent who has a teenager now or even post uh, high school, there's some point, and I don't know what it is. I think it, it depends on, on kids and wiring some point where they're 14, 15 years old, all of a sudden there's this shift from authority to influence. And that's a very difficult time, but you have to be aware of it and you have to sense that transfer from authority to influence. So let me put it, let me put it this way to you. Parental authority must transform into trusted influence as kids grow to teens and eventually become adults. And that trust comes from the foundation that you've laid and the example that you've led as a parent. Yeah, so that the thought of authority leading to influence, I think that's such an incredible thought. And I think it's something that uh, for parents that we need to be reflecting on is how am I using my authority? But also, I mean, the, the question comes to mind for me is like, how am I wasting my authority? Like, how am I missing moments that I could be building influence with my kids to, to do what I want to do or to at work or whatever the case may be? Um, where am I missing those opportunities to use authority to create influence for my kids? And, and I think that I, I encourage parents that that's something that I'd want to be looking at in, in my heart every day is like, how can I use my authority better? Yeah. And you I know? think I think uh, some of us who are listening, um, the reality is that we have forfeited our potential influence in their lives as they've gotten older because of the choices that we've made individually. And so I just want to speak to you parents who perhaps, um, you've, you've gone through some battles and, uh, you've, uh, you've hit some major potholes. Um, maybe you went through an ugly divorce or uh, you have suffered from, uh, 
a mental breakdown or you've had a gambling problem or you've been so angry um, or you've just dealt with things that have been very difficult. And what I don't want to do in this podcast uh, for you parents is get so fixated on gender dysphoria that I miss the reality that our world is really messy and your world is complicated. The way in which you can gain respect with your with your your children is by uh, appropriately, depending on age, is to acknowledge that and to own that and to make a commitment because God's grace is available. His power is for you to continue to grow. And as you look into your future as a parent, God can still continue to, to, to use you. He can redeem those wounds and God can mend and heal those relationships because uh, the reality is uh, the parenting challenge is is extremely extremely uh, difficult. Now, Michael, let me let me just say one other thing in terms of this question: um, How do we approach this conversation? Um, and this is more of a, a general statement. Um, I think you know, as Christian parents uh, and believers in general, um, I think we might be tempted to respond to this topic. Uh, or this kind of person with shock and dismissal. But that cannot be the Christian response or approach to a person experiencing gender dysphoria. Uh, Instead, we must approach these individuals with both grace and truth according to how Jesus Christ came into our world. And you can read about how he came into the world when you look at the Gospel of John, John 1.14. Christians are commanded to welcome all into the grace of the gospel because our gospel is applicable and available to all. That's why Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, 4, God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And remember what Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. He is patient with people who are struggling from gender dysphoria, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So, First and foremost, we must offer genuine love to the gender dysphoric person. However, love demands truth. Without truth, we don't have love. Because speaking the truth in love is what allows growth and maturity for those who are desiring uh, freedom and wholeness. And in my view, only Christians humble enough to recognize their own brokenness will be capable of walking with people through through struggles that seem so very different from their own. So dismissing the legitimacy of a person's experience is really to dismiss the person as a human being. So to be clear, we shouldn't dismiss, uh, but we should feel compassion for anyone experiencing mental distress about a perceived misalignment between their gender identity and their body. Not dismissing the reality of their inner feelings, however, it, it, it's not it's not the same as affirming those feelings. So right. just yeah. because you don't dismiss them doesn't mean you affirm them either. What's well, that? It's that truth, and it's also love. love. And, yeah. and I think we as, as humans, as followers of Jesus, like it's really easy for us to slide into one camp or another. Yes. Like yes. it's really easy to fall into a, yes. this is the truth. Let me hit you with the Bible over and yep. over again until you change. Or we fall too far into the love where we just kind of like love becomes what our culture calls love, which is just yeah. affirming people and yes. whatever they're doing. Yes. 
Yeah. So it's important for Christians to understand that people who experience distress and anguish and conflict over their perceived gender identity, they really do exist. They're not freaks. They're not simply cross-dressers. And in most cases, their experience cannot be reduced to simply living a lie, quote unquote, since most don't feel that they're lying to themselves. In fact, just the opposite is true. People with genuine cases of dysphoria believe it's their biological body that is lying. A person in the situation truly believes that he or she is the member of the opposite sex. But, but Michael, here's our hope. And listeners, I want you to catch this as our biblical theology, which springs forth in terms of redemption and hope and, and true um, alignment to God's word. Our desires, perceptions, and bodies, they all testify to the disorder of a sin-ravaged creation. That's the reality. All of us, Scripture says, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're born into sin. We're born into this battle. We have a a sin-stained heart. But the good news for us is that, that the broken bodies we live in all need redemption. And in Jesus Christ, all things are promised to be made new. Amen. Oh yeah. 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 I mean that, that thought right there, it's just that we're all in the same boat. We're all broken. We all are are desperately in need of a savior and we desperately need someone to come and rescue us. And that, that is who Jesus is. And so for, for us to, to look at other people and say, you need Jesus. I mean, well, we need Jesus. It's, it's something that we can't be doing. Yeah, we all need Jesus. And the truth is, um, while Christianity doesn't guarantee total relief in this life, right? It does guarantee future resurrection from our desires and perceptions and bodies that are subject to decay and death. So because our biological sex doesn't lie, and because our minds are susceptible to confusion, Uh, repentance and sanctification for dysphoric individuals involves the long work of bringing their perceived gender, their perceived gender identity back into conformity with their biological sex. Uh, This is a part of renewing your mind, part of knowing your truth. A, A person might struggle with this and never fully arrive at peace, but putting on the new self remade in Jesus Christ means embracing and trusting God's authority over every facet of our existence. So parents, listeners, this is our hope that God's grace is more than enough to live in accordance with his truth for our blessing and protection at every level of our lives, body, mind, and spirit. Absolutely. So this this has been absolutely incredible. And actually, we're really excited because we have so much content. There's so much good stuff to say here that we're actually going to be uh, releasing some more content next week, a little uh, bonus content for you guys next week. So um, may- maybe during Thanksgiving, you can sit down and listen to it with the family. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe add a little bit of fire to the flames of Thanksgiving with your family. I, I don't know. Hey, parents, if I can give you this this one last thought, this is what it looks like. And I, I think this is, is beautiful. I'm going to add a, a piece to what uh, Pastor Adam said there um, said there earlier, this, this thought of, you know, your influence is equal to your authority plus your example, that your example and how you live your life and the authority you have, it's going to give you the influence to have these conversations based on that Jesus foundation. This has been Table Talk. Hope you guys join us next week.